and he has it for this year as well. And it's so awesome that we get to sit and learn from our profs, but it's also such a blessing to learn from our president. So Dave, why don't you come on up uh, and share with us your heart. And we're starting a brand new series for the entire first semester here. We're going to go through the book of Psalms. And so we've asked our professors to speak out of the book of Psalms in a chapter or scripture or something that's impacted them. So uh, this is truly from the heart, which will be great. Dave. Thanks, Jeff. It is uh, so awesome to be here with you, to see you all this morning. Um, yeah, we have waited for everyone to arrive and to come back, and now we've started an amazing semester. It just feels really cool. Uh, freshmen, welcome. It's going to take me a little little bit of time to get to know all your names, um, and I think that goes for all the faculty. But, uh, yeah, we just, we just appreciate you being here, appreciate your contribution already to campus life. Great weekend. They had an Omega retreat, which was awesome from what I hear, so that was great. Uh, student council did some... Uh, did some legwork, a little bit of prep, and some stuff like that. So that was also uh, awesome. I, I noticed on social media some of you all went to Seattle to do some studying. So good for you. That's really great. Um, this morning, I want to start in, in a psalm that really impacted my life as a young pastor, uh, uh, just fresh out of college, um, involved in a local church, and really, my my area of ministry was twofold. I was involved in youth, young adult ministry, and I was also leading worship. So I, every Sunday would be leading the congregation into worship. I, I think there are probably three people here that actually remember those days: my wife Diane, Corey Sorensen, and Mark Hawks. Um, m- my kids don't even know that. Well, I, mean, I tell them that, and they just smile at me and go, "Yeah, sure you did, Dad." But uh, yeah, there was there was a season when 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 I I was regularly uh, leading God's people into God's presence and worship. And this psalm came to me. Uh, it, the psalm didn't come to me; it was already there. But it, but really, God God kind of spoke to my heart about worship. And about being a worshiper through these words of David. And it's been a psalm that I have continued to go back to. And has really impacted my entire life. Because it says, and it challenged me as a worship leader. But it challenged me as a believer. As a Christ follower. How I was living my life. Psalm 15, and you can't miss something else in Psalm 15. I had to pick a psalm that referred to the holy hill, because here we are, the holy hill, right? But, but in all seriousness, Psalm 15 begins with these words. David says, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Who doesn't slander with his tongue or with her tongue and does no evil to his neighbor or her neighbor, takes up a reproach or doesn't take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own herd and doesn't change, who doesn't put out his money at interest, doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. Uh, He who does these things will never be moved. I have some thoughts for you. In this passage, uh, you'll discover when you hear me speak that I'm a t- Trinitarian preacher, which means usually my thoughts come in groups of three. I'm not sure if that's necessarily biblical or what it is, but we tend to absorb things in groups of three. Uh, 
just a little commercial here. Why don't you watch a half-hour sitcom and see how many times they split it up for commercials? Three times. Groups of three are important for us, right? So that's, that's a communication skill. Write that down. I know, write that down. <laughs> so David asked this question. David asked this question, and I think the question reminds us from the very outset that worship is not about how. It's not about what. It's about who. It's about who. So David says this, Lord, who shall sojourn? Who shall dwell? And, and in those two, uh, two sentences, those of you that have already done hermeneutics and Pentateuch and historical literature, get those illusions. Sojourning in, in God's tent is about, um, is about the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's about the place where God's presence dwelt. And of course, the holy hill was, the, was to be the temple mount. When David was writing this, the temple wasn't built, but yet, yet that, that place was recognized as a place for the worship of God. And I think here's, the, here's what David is asking in those questions. It's not, who do I get to room with, or where do I get to hang, you know, sort of lay down when I'm tired at night. Um, David is asking the question, Lord, who qualifies to enter into your presence? Because that's exactly what the tabernacle and, and the Mount Zion meant. Was, that's where God inhabited with his presence. That's why David said later in life, Lord, one thing have I desired, and that I'm going to seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For the Israelite of David's day, God's presence was found in the temple. And so to ask this question, Lord, who is qualified to go into the tent of meeting? Who is qualified to ascend the temple mount? David is saying, God, who? Who gets to spend time in your presence? Who gets to worship you, Lord? For Israel, God's presence in the temple and, and on the temple mount was so significant that when they were taken into exile, uh, what do we discover? The, 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 the presence of God left Israel. Because it was at that specific place where Israel encountered God's presence. Today, as believers, you know it's amazing? We don't live in that world anymore. Turn to someone and say that. We don't live in that world anymore. <laughs> we experience the presence of God on a day-to-day basis through the power and anointing of the Spirit. Through the work that Jesus has done in our lives. And so when we reflect on this psalm in terms of application, I, I think the, the question of worship needs to come to our forefront, because worship is really huge, isn't it, today? But, but I think what we need to recognize, that worship is more, and the psalmist is reminding us that worship is more than just the moments in chapel, like this morning, which were amazing. Worship team, you did a great job this morning. Thank you. Um, but worship is more than just these moments in this place. Because we're not living in the era of God only inhabits the building when he feels like coming. <laughs> At certain, uh, that sounds capricious, doesn't it? God wasn't like that. But, but in certain times, in certain seasons when God's presence enveloped uh, the tabernacle. Uh, in Romans 12, 1, 1 and 2, Paul says this, I urge you, friends, by the mercies of God. 
You present your bodies to God a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so what this psalmist is saying, and, and I believe by asking the who question instead of the what question, and, and, and reflecting on Romans 12, we need to recognize that worship happens more than here. It happens in the classroom. Believe it or not, it happens in the classroom at 8 a.m. Some of you are saying, Jesus, where are you? Oh, God, who created this time of morning, right? But Jesus is there. Worship happens in the dorm rooms. With a roommate who leaves his or her half of the room looking like an explosive device was just detonated. And you're a clean freak, right? It happens in the cafeteria. Worship happens everywhere we are. When we think of worship, what do we think of? Well, sometimes we think of music a lot, don't we? And, and I love worship. I was a worship leader. I love, but that's the how, not the who of worship. It's this, it's about style. So we develop followings of worship, don't we? We develop an apologetic for worship. So to quote and paraphrase Paul out of Corinthians, some of us say, I am of Hillsongs. I am of Bethel. I am of Vineyard. Andrew Evans says, I am of Gaither. But that's okay. Andrew will explain it to you in one of his classes. But, but the point that David wants us to remember in terms of worship is it's about who. Sometimes we want to be connoisseurs of styles of worship, of styles of music. Um, we have heavy metal, we have light jazz, we have spoken word, we have shout to the Lord, we have unplugged, we have two plugged, we have stringed instruments, we have keyboard instruments, but still that's all about Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord on all instruments. But that's, but, but worship is more than that. It's more than being a connoisseur of, of a style of music or a connoisseur of a genre of worship. Um, see, this psalm challenges me and it challenged me as a young worship leader that worship is not about what, it's never about what and how, but it's always about who. And of course the object of, of our worship is God, right? Um, he's the big answer to the who question, but the little answer to the who question is me. Who I bring to worship. It's about how I live out my faith as a worshiper of Jesus 24-7. That's whole life worship, friends. So what are the things that make a person a whole life worshiper? Look at Psalm 15. Starting at verse 2. You know what's interesting? David answers the who question. Not by... Again, an appeal to the how or, or certain activities you do or certain ways you do things. Jesus describes the worshiper, the person. Here's my big takeaway point. Coming here is the result of how we live there. So we don't come to chapel saying, dear Jesus, I need my tires inflated. I hope that worship leader is in touch with you because I have nothing to give. I'm dead. I just had hermeneutics. Really dead. (laughs) I want to make the point, and this psalmist makes the point, that 
the worship happens outside of these doors. And the moments we spend in here are a culmination of what God has done in our lives and we celebrate and we rejoice. So, so when the people of God gather, these people aren't pumping up the tires. They're strapping on the seatbelts because of the energy and the praise that comes from here going that direction, right? It's about who we are as worshipers. So this is what David says. A worshiper fundamentally, summarizing it, and I could pray a concluding prayer, is about a life reflecting God's values. David begins by saying this. A true worshiper is righteous, is holy, is blameless, is acceptable to the Lord. Now the language might make us think of perfection, like how can I be this way? Um, I think it speaks of wholehearted commitment to God, 24-7. We tend to fragment our lives. Worship is our sports page of our lives or our entertainment section. Uh, David makes the point uh, that, that that wholehearted commitment, those in the Old Testament uh, worked hard at keeping the law because they wanted to please and honor God. Friends, we need to expend the effort to grow in our relationship with God and not frustrate the grace of God, but experience and trust in His grace and His presence. God will give us the desire and the power to do His will. And it's out of that fundamental relationship with Jesus that we can be worshipers who are righteous and blameless. It's nothing that we can do, and it's everything Jesus has done for us. That's the first piece of, of the posture. The second piece in, in this psalm is about being trustworthy in your speech. Speaking the truth from a sincere heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. True worshipers, true worshipers, people who live whole life worship, whole life discipleship, listen to what they say. And their words bring life to others. Yes, they speak the truth regardless of the situation, but they speak the truth that's, that's blended with God's grace. So truth and grace come out of their mouths. Uh, wonderful life comes from what they say. It speaks to an integrity of character. The speaking of the truth, of God's truth, that speech will bring life to one another when we interact on campus, to be truthful in our speech to one another. Making relationships a priority. What does the psalmist say? He says, a person who... who can dwell in God's presence, avoids slander, avoids harm, avoids speaking evil. What are those? Those are relationship-breaking activities. So when we come to this place to worship um, and to celebrate what God has done in our lives and to sing songs and to listen to his word, it's out of the context that we're living out his life with one another. In a community of faith. And that's what being here is all about. Building relationships. Many of you are going to go in ministry. Or people helping professions. And uh, you're going to learn that caring for people is what it's all about. And, and God wants to develop within us. Justice and mercy. In how we speak towards one another. How we live with one another. How we treat one another. The psalmist also speaks about consistency and values. It says, we reject those who take pride in wrongdoing. We honor those who honor God. What the psalmist is saying is our values don't change. You know, we, we put on our worshiping hat when we're here. 
But out there we live however we want to. The psalmist says, no, the values of here are the values of there. And that people can see that, that, that sense of wholeness in our lives. Not fragmented worship. Where we're one person in chapel or in church and another person outside. The psalmist also reminds us that, that people who honor God, who dwell in his presence, are people who, for whom what's right is always right. Regardless if you're the only person standing for that truth. What's right is always right. And it's about who you are when, as the book title says, who you are when no one's looking. So poignant, right? No one but God. So consistent in our values. And then the psalmist says, one who who can dwell in God's presence, who's a whole life worshiper, is someone for whom their word is their bond. There are going to be times when the chips are down in our lives. There are going to be times when we make commitments and we stick to commitments, not because they're a lot of fun and not because there's another option out there, but because we have made that commitment, usually because God has moved us in that direction. Let me illustrate. There have been a couple of times in ministry where I have committed to something, and, and, and this can echo to a number of, of, of our instructors here today. So I don't have a corner on this market. Please don't hear me. But there are times in ministry when you commit to something and all of a sudden it goes south hugely. It gets ugly. And another option comes up. And you say, that must be the will of God. You know, that's... That's, that's the air-conditioned room after I'm scorching out in the heat. You know, God, thank you for providing me a way out of the desert. That, I can think of two specific times in ministry that happened to me. One time was, was in the time a church I was serving was about $15 million in debt. We didn't know where our next payroll was coming. I had a phone call uh, about a district position, came to me, and everything within me wanted to say yes. And God challenged me and said, hey, no way. You need to stay where you are. I did. Was it easy? No. What did I learn through that experience? That, that a worshiper of God sticks to their commitments. Had another one where, um, where I committed to, to hang out in a church. It was the, the church that I served at prior to coming here. Uh, in, in the midst of a, a pastoral transition, I... I assured some fellows on the board that I would stay in the church for two years. And transitions don't always go well, right? And so about 15 days into the two years, I went, what have I done? What have I done? And then I caught myself saying, no, I made that commitment. I need to live by that commitment. Two years almost to the day, I got a phone call saying, would you be the president of Summit Pacific College? No. Here's the illustration. Not about how wonderful I am. It's about when God places you somewhere, sometimes he puts you there because he wants to come looking for you a little later on. And it might be a difficult situation, but you need to, you need to hold steady. Because God opens up doors, and he comes to find you where he left you. If you're out doing your own thing, God says, have fun. <laughs> Catch me back here where I, where I told you to be, and be obedient. And that's huge. Our word needs to be our bond. Um, I love this psalm because... 
it speaks to our character as worshipers and disciples. David concludes the psalm with an assurance. He says this, the one whose life looks like this, the one who orders their life like this, will stand firm forever. You know, I, I think there's a couple of things here when David says that we'll stand firm. I mean, the idea of standing firm is not being moved and standing strong and not being shaken or fallen. And we all want to do that. We all want to finish well, even this year, even this semester. Um, but, but what's interesting with standing strong, which is the bookend for us at the end of this psalm, is when David began the question, Lord, who shall dwell, who, who shall sojourn? Those are, those are words that, that sort of betray um, kind of temporary dwelling. So the psalm has gone from temporary dwelling to permanence. What's going to make for permanence in our lives, in our walk with God? How are we going to finish well this semester, uh, this year, our lives? The answer, becoming a whole life worshiper, a whole life disciple. Carrying God's presence with you everywhere you go. Not just here. Psalmist says this, the one who gets this, whole life discipleship, his eternal, her eternal destiny will be sure. But there's something else that happens. To those who stand strong, stand firm in their walk with God, living by godly values, those outside the family of God begin to take notice of you. And they begin to go, that's the person I can go to. When the chips are down and my, there's struggles in my life, that's a person I know praise. That's a person I know walk with God. And we'll make a lasting difference, not only for our own life, but in the lives of others. See, the culture that we live in today needs to see God. Proverbs says, without a vision, the people perish. And, and we use that as a wonderful missionary verse, don't we? We think of people beyond here uh, and how they're perishing without the message of the gospel. That's very true. But what the writer of Proverbs was speaking about when he said a vision is he was talking about a revelation of, the, of a word from God, the voice of God, speaking to the people of Israel, a prophetic word, if you will. And without that prophetic word, culture, people, run amok looking for somewhere to align themselves. Friends, we all need to realize as believers that we are that word from God to our society. We are that word to our churches, to our friendship groups. And uh, without that word, our world is going to cycle and spiral downward. It's going to go crazy. That's why it's so significant for us to live as whole life worshipers in our world today. What's the how? really quickly concluding because I see my time is almost gone how, so, so we talked about who and we talked a little bit about what the characteristics look like and, and we came to the conclusion that it wasn't about style it was about how we live our lives, our integrity so how does God work the transformation does that say if, if we don't have all these characteristics sorry, game over no, all of us are on, are on a road to development and God brings us Along in the development of our character daily through transformative moments. In the immortal words of 
Elmer Fudd. Be very, very careful. (laughs) Because transformational moments are everywhere. Are everywhere. May God help us to see those moments. Those times when when we pour into the word of God and prayer on a regular basis. We go, yeah, those are really spiritual transformational moments. What about our friends and relationships in the dorm? Those are transformational moments. What about our experiences? Our good experiences are transformational because God gives us our good experiences. Our bad experiences, they're from Satan, so they won't be transformational. Wrong. Sometimes God works most of his transformational moments through the difficult times of life. Through the furnace of affliction, God transforms us. So the how is about living together as a community. If I were to say what my goal for all of us is for this semester, as we read this psalm, is to become whole life worshipers that bring God's presence into this place every time we enter, rather than expecting him to show up when we come empty and tired. Jesus, help us to be whole life worshipers. Help us to answer the question of the psalmist David, Lord, who shall dwell in your tent? Who shall live on your holy hill? Help us to answer, I can, and I will by your grace and your strength. Lead us in that direction. Give us an amazing semester together. And Lord, may we be conscious of your power and strength in our lives every day that we walk together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.